Then from there, uh, proceeded to be an advisor to the custodian of the two holy places uh, in the royal court, and from there, uh, proceeded to become ambassador to the United States, 2007. He did serve also as the director of the Joint Information Bureau during this time of Desert Shield and Desert Storm, where some 3,000 journalists, perhaps a number of you here, descended on Dhahran and tried to cover the preparations uh, for that conflict uh, for the liberation of, of Kuwait. Most of them, of course, were told by their bosses, write a story on camels, write a story on women, and write a story on oil, and then come back home. Uh, but he was a source to get some of them out of that particular mode and to report on additional issues uh, to enhance people's uh, and knowledge about Saudi Arabia beyond the stereotypes when there were more than 550,000 people mobilized and deployed to Saudi Arabia. So he was in charge of the information operations then with Niall Al-Jaber as well. Please join me in welcoming Adel Al-Jaber. Thank you, Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Uh, Rahim. Thank you, John, for a, a, a great introduction. I, you gave me more credit than I deserve. Um, the uh, Joint Information Bureau in Dahran was uh, set up by uh, uh, a number of uh, uh, officials from the Ministry of Information as well as from the embassy, and I personally was one of the junior people in the effort, so I don't, I, that, while I appreciate the credit, I, I certainly don't deserve it. But in any case, thank you for, uh, for the very kind words, and uh, allow me to express my appreciation to the uh, National Council for hosting uh, this very important conference uh, once again. The uh, uh, subject matter of my talk is the, an ambassador's view from Washington. Uh, that's a fairly tall order. There are many, many views in Washington and many, many ambassadors in Washington. So I will talk about a little bit about the history of our bilateral relationship, uh, the challenges that they face, the uh, state of our relationship today, um, and the, uh, the steps that the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia has taken and continues to take uh, in order to bring our world closer together. Um, and then I would be happy to take questions. Hopefully I will have a little bit more time for you than my colleague, Ambassador Crocker. The um, relationship between our two countries is now in its seventh decade. In the uh, 1930s, when your Army Corps of Engineers was building the Golden Gate Bridge in San Francisco, your business community built an 8,000-mile bridge to Saudi Arabia. Americans came. They discovered oil, they put down roots among us, and uh, they launched what was to be, the, they launched what was to become a very uh, important relationship to both countries as well as to the world. Uh, the relationship took on a political dimension when the late King Abdelaziz met with the late President Franklin Roosevelt on the USS Quincy in the Great Bitter Lake in Egypt in 1945 at the end of World War II. Uh, that cemented uh, the, the diplomatic aspect of the relationship. And then, of course, the military relationship began in the early 1950s when the U.S. Uh, started its first military training mission to Saudi Arabia. And over the past seven decades, our relationship has seen the coming and breaking of many storms. We have uh, dealt jointly and effectively in facing the challenges uh, to our respective nations as well as to the region. And with every decade and with every experience, our relationship has come out stronger than it was before. And if you allow me to uh, uh, very quickly go through some of the history of that relationship, uh, because people tend to 
uh, forget or, or not put things in their proper context. In the 1950s and 60s, um, when it was not fashionable to be America's friend, Saudi Arabia was. In the 1950s and 60s, when our region was consumed by radicalism, um, the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia and the United States were able to uh, confront that radicalism uh, and, in fact, prevail over it. In the 1970s and 80s, when the Soviet Union was on a rampage expanding uh, its influence or seeking to expand its influence in Central Asia, in the, in the Horn of Africa, uh, even in, in the Middle East, it was uh, Saudi Arabia that was one of the key countries in, in, in preventing a Soviet takeover of the region. Of course, we all uh, remember the uh, joint effort between the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia and the United States in the 1980s in support of the Mujahideen in Afghanistan, um, which led to their defeat of the Soviet Union, uh, the withdrawal of the Soviet Union from Afghanistan, and subsequently to that, the collapse of the Soviet Union uh, as a communist state. The uh, relationship was, again, uh, uh, tested and came out with flying colors in 1990-91, when Saddam Hussein invaded Kuwait, and when the, our two countries put together a coalition of over 32 countries to uh, uh, liberate Kuwait and restore its legitimate government. Um, of course, I, then our next big challenge was the uh, uh, tragic effects and criminal effects of 9-11. Um, when we discovered that 15 of the 19 hijackers hailed from Saudi Arabia, um, it was devastating to us. It was a, a big blow potentially to the relationship. Uh, it cast doubts in the minds of Americans about Saudi Arabia. Um, it unleashed a, 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 a tremendously uh, critical and negative uh, uh, portrayal of Saudi Arabia in the United States and in the rest of the world. Um, we in the kingdom uh, dealt with this issue um, we examined uh, the, the, the threat that we faced, um, we confronted it head on, and we came out of this experience, um, we meaning the United States and Saudi Arabia, um, in a much healthier and much stronger relationship than we were before these events. Uh, today when I look at our relationship, uh, I, I like to quote as I always do, but that doesn't mean that I agree with the political philosophy, but Ronald Reagan, he, had, he used to say that facts are stubborn things. And when we look at the facts of the relationship between our two countries today versus where they were even as recently as 10 years ago, I think the numbers are staggering. Uh, today, as we speak, we have over 30,000 students, Saudi students studying at American colleges and universities. This is an all-time high number. We have never had that many students studying in the United States. Uh, they will come back and they will be advocates of the bilateral relationship. They will be uh, ambassadors for the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia while they're here, and they will be ambassadors for the United States when they go back. Um, this is a, a very important and strategic uh, step and decision that was made uh, by the custodian of the two holy mosques after his meeting with President Bush in Crawford in 2005. To put the number in perspective, five years ago, the number of students, or 19, in 2003, the number of students in the United States did not exceed 3,000. So we have 10 times as many students today as we had back then. Another example is uh, the uh, uh, travel between our respective countries. 
um, the number of visas that the American Embassy and Consulates issued in Saudi Arabia last year to Saudi citizens was about 70,000. That is an all-time high number. And the number of visas that our embassy and consulates in the United States issued to Americans is about 65,000. That also is an all-time high number. When I look at investments between the two countries, uh, they're at record numbers. We are on track to double the investment, the American investment in Saudi Arabia over a 60-year period in a matter of five years, if we exclude the investments in Aramco. I can cite a joint venture between Aramco and Dow Chemicals that will uh, amount to over $20 billion. Um, uh, Alcoa is doing a joint venture with Ma'adin to produce one of the biggest aluminum smelter complexes in the world uh, at a value of over $14 billion. And the list goes on. Um, so when I look at the, the numbers and the facts, I see a very healthy and, and robust relationship. When I look at the interaction between our two governments, we have worked very hard, both of us, over the last six or seven years to institutionalize our relationship, um, to build bridges directly between different agencies of our government so that they can handle problems at a working level rather than have each problem grow uh, and literally grow out of context. We were able to deal uh, with counselor matters that involve visas and duration of visas and child custody cases. We were able to deal with uh, uh, commercial issues like commercial disputes between companies. Uh, we put them in channels where they can be dealt with at the working level rather than turning them into political problems. We have a very close cooperation in the field of counterterrorism and terror finance. Uh, we have uh, programs in term for critical infrastructure protection. Uh, we have programs for uh, uh, exchanging information on identifying radicalism and extremism and ways of dealing with it. I believe, uh, uh, and these issues uh, have uh, helped to solidify and, and cement a very strong, very important relationship. The, um, the arms package that the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia uh, is discussing with the United States is a testament to the strength of the relationship. It is the largest uh, package in the history of the two countries, um, and I believe that it, it uh, uh, reinforces the commitment of both nations uh, to the relationship as well as to the security of our region. Now, having said all of this, it doesn't mean that we don't have disagreements. We do. Uh, uh, in, in a number of areas, and where we have these disagreements, we don't shy away from expressing them. Um, we are frank and open with each other, um, and we believe that uh, honesty is the most important element in any relationship, uh, honesty and clarity. And we, uh, we make sure that, uh, we try our best to make sure that we are very clear and, and direct with our American friends on a number of issues and also on the challenges that we believe um, we need to pay attention to. And I don't have to uh, remind you that our region is full of challenges, uh, whether it's Afghanistan, Pakistan, Iran, Iraq, situation in Lebanon, the peace process, uh, or uh, the situation in, in Yemen, in Somalia. We have to worry about terrorists, pirates. We have a financial uh, crisis globally that we have worked closely and with our G20 partners to overcome. And of course, there is the uh, continuing 
situation involving energy security and the, import, the uh, supply demand situation in energy. Um, having said this, uh, I would like to give you a sense of the Kingdom's view on how we see uh, our role in, in the region as well as in the world. The Kingdom's objective is to seek stability and security for its people and for the region. Saudi Arabia is a status quo power. We have no ambitions beyond our borders. Um, we would like to live in a safe, peaceful, and prosperous neighborhood. Our view is um, our, our efforts has been geared towards building bridges, not destroying bridges. And you see it translated domestically in the launching of the national dialogues in Saudi Arabia so that we bring our nation together on, on, uh, in, uh, to face the challenges uh, that, we have to, that we have to confront or deal with as a nation. Um, externally, we have uh, the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia has launched, the custodian of the two holy mosques, launched an interfaith dialogue that began in Mecca with the uh, gathering of over 600 uh, scholars and, and, uh, and religious figures from the Islamic world representing all sects in order to look at the issue of uh, dealing with, uh, with each other and dealing with uh, other faiths. Um, that was subsequently followed by an interfaith conference in Madrid that was attended by representatives of all the major religions and, and cultures. Uh, and, it was, and it culminated in November of 2008 in a high-level meeting at the United Nations um, that brought together representatives of all the faiths in order to reinforce the common values handed to us by our creator and in order to uh, use religion and the values enshrined in all religions to bring people together rather than to divide them. Um, irrespective of, of, of one's faith, we believe that uh, uh, all faiths uh, believe in, in the principles of compassion and mercy and love and peace and taking care of the less fortunate. Um, we don't, um, all religions reject uh, violence and, and extremism and crime. Uh, all people of faith uh, share the same values when it comes to what uh, the, the importance of maintaining the integrity of the family, uh, the importance of uh, protecting our environment, because if one part of our globe suffers, the rest of the globe suffers with it. And so faith uh, as part of this initiative was uh, a, 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 uh, to be used as an objective to bring people together rather than divide them. You see it in the universities that the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia has launched, this connecting with the world. Um, I mentioned earlier that we send our students abroad. We also established the King Abdullah University for Science and Technology that is an, essentially an international university. Its students and faculty hail from over 50 countries. It has uh, uh, cooperative relationships with over 40 of the world's top uh, academic institutions. We share research, we share knowledge, we share students. And this is another way of connecting with the, uh, with the world. So to go back to the original uh, headline or title of my talk, an ambassador's view from Washington, um, I believe that the, my, the, the view of the relationship uh, is a very positive and a very healthy one. I think the uh, future of our bilateral relationship 
uh, will continue to grow stronger and deeper and more robust. I have no doubt about this. Uh, I believe that the ability of our two countries to deal with the challenges that either they both face or that the relationship will inevitably face from time to time uh, is, uh, is a very uh, a pragmatic one and I think uh, a very solid one. So I'm, I'm uh, um, very optimistic that uh, the future, inshallah, God willing, will be uh, even better than the past. I hope, John, I didn't. No, we, we have time for questions? Yes, okay, so why don't I I'll stop here and I'll take questions that you may have. Thank you, first of all. Sure. Thank you. Do you want me here or here? Uh, here is fine, okay. and I'll, I'll just ask the ones that, that were submitted here. Um, status report on uh, King Abdullah's uh, peace proposal, March 31st, 2002, in, um, in Beirut, unanimously um, endorsed by the 22 Arab countries, members of the League of Arab States. Where is it, and uh, why hasn't it been more uh, positively received by the Israelis on one hand and elements of the United States on the other? Well, the um, Arab Peace Initiative, which was adopted by the Arab Summit in Beirut, and, uh, remains on the table. It, is, uh, it has now become uh, the key reference point for, a, uh, settle for the settlement of the Arab-Israeli conflict. Uh, the, uh, not only was it adopt, adopted unanimously by the 22 Arab countries, by, the, by all of the members of the Arab League, but also by the uh, countries of the Organization of Islamic Conference at the extraordinary summit in Mecca held in December of 2005. So not only would it bring peace with all of the Arab countries, but all of the Muslim countries have committed themselves to peace. Um, we are puzzled that the Israelis have not responded favorably to this. Um, the peace initiative has all the elements for settlement. Uh, it's land for peace. It's a just settlement of the refugees. It's a uh, peace and normal relations with all that that entails between Israel and the Arab countries. Um, and the answer probably ought to be directed to the, our colleagues in, the, in parts of the U.S. government in terms of uh, why they haven't. But in all fairness to the uh, Obama administration, I believe that from the very beginning, uh, uh, President Obama has made uh, uh, references to the Arab Peace Initiative and to its importance. Um, I believe in one of his very first speeches, he commended the Peace Initiative and saw it as a basis for resolving the conflict. But what we need is we need a will uh, to reach a, a compromise which the Arab world has displayed but we don't see on the Israeli side. We need a flexibility, which the Arab world has shown, but we have not yet seen on the Israeli side. Um, in all, the, the, there has to be a strategic decision made that peace is an objective. I believe the Arab world has done this um, by agreeing to the two-state settlement uh, based on the 67 lines. Um, a, a, uh, uh, an end of claims and a, and a, uh, a beginning of a state of normal relations. We don't, we haven't really seen that on the other side. What we see is a focus on details, um, uh, uh, process rather than substance, 
we have believe, and I, when I say we, the Arab League as a whole, and we, the Arab League has made this point repeatedly, that it is important to define the objective of the talks, um, and then invite the parties to negotiate towards that objective so that it is clear to everybody where we will be going um, and where we will end up. And uh, I believe that the Arab Peace Initiative has defined this objective, um, and what we need is the will uh, to negotiate towards that objective. And uh, peacemaking is, has never been easy. Um, I, I don't believe it ever will be easy, and it needs uh, strength and resolve, and it needs uh, flexibility. I think the, uh, in terms of the efforts of the Obama administration, uh, there is no doubt in our minds that uh, they have sincerely uh, and very diligently tried to move the process forward, uh, but our doubts lie with the other side. Thank you. We have a uh, question about Saudi Arabia's concerns with Iran, Iraq, and or Yemen. You can do all three of them if you like, or uh, take the one that's of greatest concern to Saudi Arabia, perhaps to dispel some of the myths or the stereotypes that people uh, report about Saudi Arabia's views, needs, concerns on those three issues. Well, all three countries are neighbors of the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia and very important neighbors. Um, the uh, our view in terms of uh, uh, Iran is that the we we hope that the Iranians will abide by international law and subject their uh, nuclear program to inspections. We don't deny their right to have peaceful nuclear energy, um, so long as it, they live up to their obligations. To, uh, uh, to the international protocols that define uh, how you exercise this right. Uh, we believe that, uh, more broadly speaking, that the, all of the Middle East ought to be a region free from all types of weapons of mass destruction, including nuclear weapons. Um, with regards to Iraq, we, uh, we, uh, uh, we feel for our Iraqi brothers, we feel that uh, Iraq is going through a very difficult and very challenging situation. The uh, lack of formation of a government uh, is a matter of concern, not only to us, but to a lot of other countries. We uh, believe that the Iraqis have a constitutional process, uh, and the constitutional process specifies how you arrive at the formation of a government, and we would hope that the Iraqis will follow that constitutional process and that they will be able to put together a government fairly expeditiously that represents, uh, that is representative of all of Iraq. Um, Iraq will have a, has a challenging future ahead of it, but we have no doubt that uh, the energy uh, of the Iraqi people and the resources of the Iraqi nation will help them uh, go back to normalcy. With regard to uh, Yemen, uh, Saudi Arabia has very close and very historic ties with Yemen. Um, Yemen is facing many challenges and deserves uh, our unwavering support. The uh, Yemenis, the Yemeni government is facing uh, challenges and um, primarily one of uh, the uh, Al-Qaeda trying to establish itself in Yemen and we must do all we can to deny them that ability. Uh, Yemen faces uh, economic developmental problems which we believe the world um, must come together to support them on. The Kingdom of Saudi Arabia has been and continues to be one of the largest supporters in terms of economic assistance to uh, 
our Yemeni brothers, and we will continue to do so. And we hope, uh, God willing, that Yemen will be able to uh, overcome the, uh, the the economic challenges that it faces um, and and emerge with a more prosperous future. Yes, thank you. You you mentioned uh, Saudi Arabia's strategic objectives being stability and security and in 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 route on route to, to prosperity. Uh, Saudi Arabia has an unemployment problem. It has a youth bulge problem. Uh, the oil and energy industries, uh, famous for not employing so many human beings, but being capital intensive. What can you say about the situation in terms of the youth and the employment situation in Saudi Arabia bearing on those strategic objectives of security and stability? We have a se whole, whole session later this afternoon because many people are concerned about the youth aspect and the lack of jobs and the need for placing more than 100,000 people who graduate from secondary school in some forms of employment. And if that's just not successful, it's a social issue. It could become a political issue, could become a security and a stability issue. Yes, I think, yeah, I, I think the, uh, the peace and stability starts at home. If you have a peaceful and stable society, you can work towards a peaceful and stable region. The, um, the future of Saudi Arabia lies with its people. And our, our youth are our most precious natural resource. Um, and how we prepare them for a future, the opportunities we give them in terms of education, and the opportunities we give them in terms of the marketplace uh, are critically important to the well-being of Saudi Arabia in the decades ahead. The, um, it's ironic that 30 years ago people complained that Saudi Arabia didn't have enough people. Now they argue maybe we have too many people. Uh, so this could, I, I see this as a, 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 uh, a blessing of riches. The Kingdom of Saudi Arabia uh, embarked on tremendous uh, economic reforms by opening up its economy, by uh, revitalizing its tax systems, by its investment laws, by joining the World Trade Organization. and. What we have seen as a consequence of Saudi Arabia's accession to the World Trade Organization at the end of 2005 is we have seen the acceleration of growth rates, um, almost a doubling of the rate of, of growth. Um, with it has come an acceleration uh, and a tremendous increase of foreign investment in Saudi Arabia. Um, we have seen an expansion of the uh, Saudi economy to where today it is close to $500 billion, our, our GDP. Uh, uh, the, the investments that are taking place in the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia will generate jobs, uh, and they are generating jobs. The students that are being sent to, uh, from Saudi Arabia abroad, and we have 100,000 students studying all over the world, of whom 30,000 are in the United States, will come back and be equipped to uh, enter the marketplace and become productive and prosperous citizens. With regards to the graduates of secondary schools, uh, Saudi Arabia has in place a vocational training centers in order to teach people trades uh, and then provide them with loans or grants so they can open small businesses and join the, market, uh, the, the marketplace. Uh, so I believe that the, the issue of, of, our, of our youth or the issue of expanding the Saudi economy and generating jobs for our citizens uh, is while it is critically important uh, to any to any government, uh, I wouldn't make it as dramatic sounding as we hear sometimes when outsiders look at the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia. La last question: 
uh, focuses on up to around five years ago, there was a consensus that America's and Saudi Arabia's and the other Arab world producers' uh, strategic interest was energy security. You don't hear that so much anymore in the United States uh, in comparison to a divorce that uh, in the last two presidential State of the Union addresses in this administration, the last two in the previous administration, uh, the president called for ending or curbing America's reliance on foreign oil. Most people see that as code words for ending reliance on Arab and Islamic oil and gas. How did we get from the energy security to this divorce issue? Not divorce from driving or transportation, but just not driving or having transportation on Arab or Islamic oil or gas. And the implications of this for the relationship, not just between the United States and Saudi Arabia, but Saudi, United States and other energy producers in the region. Well, I think this is a function of the political process in the United States. <laughs> a lot of things take place and a lot of things happen and a lot of things are said during what uh, many people in the U.S. call the silly season. So we can't take it too seriously. I think that the, uh, the issue of uh, oil is fungible. Uh, it doesn't matter where it's produced. It all goes into one theoretical or hypothetical pot. And demand for oil uh, takes oil out of this one hypothet or hypothetical pot and provides the supply. If you have a shortage of oil in one part of the world, it is going to have an impact on the price of gasoline in another part of the world. So, so whether the United States imports all of its oil from the Middle East or none of its oil from the Middle East, it will have no impact on the price of oil or gasoline in the United States should there be a crisis in the Middle East or elsewhere. I think the um, people realize that the world uh, oil supply is a finite resource. You can't make it. Once you extract it, it's gone. The world cannot rely on oil indefinitely as its major source of energy. And Saudi Arabia, as the largest oil exporter, and as the country that has the largest oil reserves, uh, over a quarter of the world's oil reserves, has been at the forefront for the past 30 years of calling for the development of alternative sources of energy. Because we know that there will come a point it could be 20 years, it could be 50 years, it could be 60 years from now, where the world's energy needs or demands outstrip the ability of oil-producing countries to supply it. And so the, as the energy pie, so to speak, increases because of demand, the additional energy we believe ought to be supplied by alternative sources. And in order for those alternative sources to become economically viable, we have to start now so that in 20 years they make economic sense. We are not afraid of alternative sources uh, replacing oil. Quite the contrary. We believe that if, if, you, if, you don't, if you develop alternatives gradually, you will have a smoother transition away from oil. In 1960, oil replaced coal as the primary source of energy in the world. And here we are 50 years later. Coal production is, has not decreased from where it was in 1960. But the energy 
pi, or the, for the, the, the energy requirements of the world have gone up, and coal's share of that pi has shrunk, but coal production has not. So when people assume that oil producers are against alternative energy, I think that that's a fallacy. Um, it will not affect us in the long run. It will not ta uh, take away from our market share in the long run, our ability to produce. Um, but it will make for a more stable uh, transition uh, in the future as the world moves away from the supply of energy. So back to your original question. A lot of things are said during political campaigns. A lot of things are said in order to uh, uh, make headlines. A lot of things are said in order to be sensational. Um, and we, uh, we have learned that uh, we deal with the realities and we don't deal with the emotions. Thank you, Mr. Ambassador. We have many other questions. We'll have those in the afternoon session. Thank you very much.